90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? I'm recovering. (laughs) Yeah, last week was AGU, and we actually ended up not being able to record because New Orleans was crazy, it sounds like. Uh, Yeah, exactly. It was, you're right. You know, you warned me. You said, we should record before you leave. And I said, no, John, I'm taking my recording stuff. It'll be fine. And obviously it wasn't. (laughs) Yep. Um, And I did not hesitate to say, I told you so. Not not even a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was waiting to get into dinner and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a bad text message. And there it was. (laughs) But yes, so sorry everybody. Um, we're back now, <laughs> and uh, that's yeah. S. Doolin at <laughs> OU. <laughs> oh man, um, I haven't been to a meeting in a while, so you know, I mean, it was exciting. So that was fun to get to go to a meeting, but I'll just leave it at I'm not a fan of these hybrid meetings. Not a fan. Didn't give me the same like. Same energy, nothing like that. I don't know. It wasn't as fun as I was hoping it would be. It's the reaction I've heard from most people that went to AGU was, mm-hmm. eh. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's expensive. Like, we want to talk about, you know, making everything inclusive. That was a pretty hefty price tag. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that happened. Um, but one of the cool things that did happen is I went with our like student program coordinator because I went, I actually took our OU booth down there, which was a big deal because there were actually not very many schools there, like eight or something. And we got a lot of feedback of like, this is great to see OU here um, because we're the Department of Geosciences now instead of geology and geophysics Everyone thought that we were the meteorology school. Right. That happened a lot. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Even people who inexplicably were in meteorology thought that's who we were. (laughs) But whatever. Um, That aside, we were sitting there talking and my friend said, she's not a geologist, right? She's our student programs coordinator. And she said, I used to have this cool poster And she goes, I'm kind of obsessed with this. And she pulls up this poster with this really weird, now I can't remember it, map projection on it. And I said, are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) And I immediately Googled Waterman Butterfly. (laughs) And we talked about map projections for like an hour. How exciting was that? (laughs) That's pretty exciting. It was. I was super excited. I was like, this is crazy. We didn't. God, did we do two or three shows about him? It was, it was so just neat. two, but, but they were very long. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So um, that was really cool. There are other map projection nerds out there. Yeah. I just uh, introduced uh, the the guys at work to the uh, the clip from West Wing. Oh, <laughs> the why are we changing maps clip? <laughs> Man, that's like my favorite. That is one of my two favorite West Wing episodes. The Peter's projection. <laughs> what if I told you this is the world you're living in? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, amazing. So we took the Northern Hemisphere and put it in the South. 
Or put it at the bottom of the map. Put it at the bottom. Oh, gosh. Oh. Yeah, that's a really, that's an excellent episode. Um, so that was the most, the highlight, you know. Oh, and I saw an alligator roadkill. That was crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, deep south. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because I thought, I'm just going to pull over and head off into these woods to go to the bathroom because there is no town anywhere near here. There's no cars on the road. And then I saw that and said, oh, thank God I did not choose to do that. <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it was like a five foot long alligator. And he's just on his back, dead on the side of the road. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, we haven't had alligators around here. The deer have been really bad around here. And I've seen some of the more graphic deer hits mm-hmm. that I've ever yeah. seen this year. Mm-hmm. But alligator? <laughs> but alligator's a new one. Yeah. Yeah. I was very, I mean, it was terrible, obviously, but it was also exciting because I've never seen that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have seen an armadillo dressed up in a sombrero and Mardi Gras beads before on the side of the road, but <laughs> never this. Alrighty. <laughs> <laughs> what were we going to talk about today? <laughs> yeah. So speaking of weird things that you don't see much, uh, it's actually time for part two of the geoengineering show. So on part, part one, the first part, part a, um, <laughs> We we talked about putting things into the atmosphere and how expensive and crazy that uh-huh. is. Uh-huh. Uh, we talked about fertilizing the ocean. Right. And we talked about messing with carbonate weathering processes. Right. Which that thing, if we talk about geoengineering, that one's the way to go. You know, right. it's, it's the most cost efficient Super easy to do. That's great. But we shouldn't discount the ones that we're going to talk about this week. And we definitely saved the weirdest for part 2B. <laughs> yes. So for the third half of the show, uh, we're, we're going to start off with, uh, as all great wacky ideas are, the word Dyson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Dyson's fears. So uh-huh. is this a vacuum? I think I saw it. it's the one that rolls, like you can move it in any direction. Right, mm-hmm. it's got that ball on it. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. So we're just going to suck up all the CO two with that, uh, you know, spaceball style. <laughs> um, so when I set out to do this geoengineering extra credit exercise, I couldn't remember what these things were called, and thank God I had some nerds in class with me. And I said, man, I'm trying to, like, I just wrote up my ideas on the board that we're going to discuss. And I said, I'm trying to remember those weird things that you build in space, but I don't remember the name of them. So we can't do that. And some kid was like, Dyson Spheres? Yes, I want that one. (laughs) And I said, great, let's talk about these. (laughs) Yeah, because this is real weird. (laughs) So, So what is a Dyson Sphere? Okay, so it's this huge structure that is constructed by a civilization and the point of it is to put it around a star and by putting this dyson sphere around a star you can do all kinds of things with that star's energy output and you know capturing it multiplying it storing it blocking it 
all those kind of things. So that's what a Dyson sphere does. And it's this perfectly symmetrical structure that sits, you know, around the Lagrange point or whatever. So it doesn't, the star won't, gravity won't make it collapse. Right. So it's, it's gravitational pull from an outward and inward body are matched. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I have a lot of problems like visualizing how you build that. Like, how do you get it to that point, you know, um, which we'll get into because the students who did this <laughs> actually talked about that, <laughs> which was great. Um, and the point of this for from a geoengineering standpoint was if we did this around our sun, we could basically block sunlight and therefore it'll get colder. Yeah. So, you know, those little they're made out of plastic and they're these spheres that they're like four mm-hmm. or five inches in diameter. And then you can expand Pull it to like three feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah. it's that, but out of metal around a star. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. And you can use it as a, a shutter for that radiation. Mm-hmm. And so we talk, and I know I've talked about this on the podcast, so I'll bring it up again. Um, we did this as a fun paper on the podcast too, where we talked about modeling the the long winter of Restoros from Game of Thrones and the orbital configuration to make these random long winters actually talks about having a Dyson sphere because the orbital configuration isn't a planet orbiting a star. It's like oscillating up and down in between a star and a black hole. But if you line it up with that star, that planet would need to be protected from that direct radiation And so in order to make that climate model work for a small amount of the year, you would have to have some sort of Dyson sphere type structure to protect the star or to protect the planet from the star. Right. Yeah. So So, these are, these are all over science fiction is the point. This is not just a, you know, random thing, but it was started, you know, in the, I don't know when it was started. I'm going to have to do some. No, no, no. Um, not in fiction. 1937. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they might have been popularized then. Yep. 1937. And then there's a 1960s actual like paper um, by Freeman Dyson, who sort of took that idea. And therefore now we've got Dyson spheres in general. But the idea of that sphere was first mentioned in... 1937. Wow. Mm-hmm. So these are not like a new thing. Yeah. Okay. So they're huge. Right. Because it's how, around. How are you going to build it? A star. Right. It's around a star, not a planet. Uh, so that was my next question to this group. You know, what are you going to do with this? How do you do this? And so. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because they said, well, unfortunately, we're going to have to sacrifice Mercury, <laughs> like the planet, <laughs> to get enough metals to build this Dyson sphere. <laughs> oh, so, you know, like everything else we've talked about, the natural resource drain <laughs> and carbon output to do this would massively offset it. Abs- absolutely correct. I mean, not maybe in a billion years, but... <laughs> Um, and I said, who's going to do this? And they said, self-replicating robots, of course. <laughs> so, yeah. of, of course. 
Of course. So you have to send the robots out and they're going to mine all of the planet Mercury and construct the panels for the Dyson sphere. Because if you look these up, you can see there's all kinds of crazy configurations for these spheres. Um, Dyson bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there's like bubbles or discs or how I would have drawn it, you know, this weird little ball that's got holes in it everywhere. Um yeah, and so you send the self-replicating robots to first mine all of Mercury and then to build the, the structure. Yeah, we need a Mel Brooks movie about this space <laughs> ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like I said, it's all throughout science fiction, like real science fiction, not just funny science fiction. <laughs> right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, they found an amazing amount of information about it with relation to geoengineering because you know if you cut off the sun all right so that deals with the temperature but something that's taking care of a lot of our co2 are the plants and therefore if you're cutting that off what are you going to do to the plants and so now you're sort of creating this feedback mechanism that you didn't mean to that's still causing like the release of more CO2 or, you know, lack of sequestration of CO2. And so one of their ideas was you have a tube that goes like from the sun to earth. So you can sort of spot, put sunlight in (laughs) wherever you want. So, yeah. So a series of reflectors or something like that to still create sunlight, but just not the overall, radiation that we receive. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. this is this is mm-hmm. a complex system. <laughs> exactly. And we joked about that because last week on the show or 2 weeks ago when we talked about it, you know, we talked about the tube up to the stratosphere, but this is a tube from the sun to the earth. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So that was one of them. Okay, so in a, in mm-hmm. a similar vein, uh space mirrors Uh (laughs) uh-huh so (laughs) this one was real weird um i don't even remember where i thought of this but this one was strange too but again something that is not out of the realm you know lots of people are actually talking about doing space mirrors but the way the students presented it was very interesting because what i would think is that okay space mirrors to reflect the sun back out right yeah, so we're making big shades and we're we're bouncing that radiation away from Earth to do the same thing as Dyson Sphere. Right, but much cheaper, even though not cheap at all. Um, but what this group proposed, which was super cool, is that instead of doing that, you would actually reflect the sun's energy back towards Earth, essentially getting rid of nighttime and having daylight all the time to promote more plant growth and more photosynthesis and more sequestration of CO2 by the biosphere. What would the horror movie genre do, though? I know. It'd be gone. Like, yeah. Maybe you get 15 minutes of night, like, once a year. And so it makes it even creepier. Right. (laughs) No, I, I kind of like that idea, though. I mean, it would be, yeah, if we've got more daylight, uh, that's going to pull more CO2 out of the air. 
more yeah. photosynthesis, more oxygen, more useful time for people to be productive. Uh-huh. Oh, man, look at you, you slave driver. <laughs> Sorry, everybody that works at Lima Geophysical. You just got 20-hour days. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't let anybody outside. That shouldn't matter. <laughs> I was like, we don't even have windows. We don't know when it's day or exactly, night. Exactly. Exactly. This time um, of year is my least favorite because it's dark when I go in and dark when I leave. Dark when you come out. Yeah. Uh, I I thought this was really interesting because that was not at all where I thought this would go. Right? And I'm like, space mirrors. Okay. Yeah. You're going to reflect stuff, you know, away from the surface. Okay. Cool. Um, that seems like it, but yeah, I thought that was interesting talking about putting it towards, and then they started to talk about the group was talking about, you know, specifically, maybe we just do this, say in the rainforest where we have so much biomass. And then I thought, but think of all the nocturnal things in the rainforest, like how would messing with the animals, how would that affect the plant life there? Yeah, or I mean, even plants have diurnal rhythms. Yes, we did a fun paper about that. That's one of my favorite fun papers. And <laughs> if ever you done. if you want to relate it to your line of work, Mm-mm. like what do you think about? You know, we've got these different layers electromagnetically in the atmosphere mm-hmm. that separate and combine diurnally, and they affect radio propagation. They affect uh, mm-hmm. diurnal magnetic cycling. Exactly. Like, gonna get what if that? that goes away? Yeah. It's real strange to think about, right? Just what a mirror could do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so they went on to talk about using this to terraform other planets as well by increasing radiation to the surface on colder areas for increased or for agriculture. Super weird. Right? I never thought about that. But this was actually one of the more expensive ones because you've got to get these heavy mirrors up there, right? And that's a lot. They quoted $10,000 per pound to launch that type of payload. Sure. So it's funny. We were actually had a friend and former guest of the show was was visiting up here. And uh, we were at breakfast and uh, one of their... One of their kids, we were talking about some space travel things. And he goes, yeah, people just forget, like, you've still got escape velocity to deal with. <laughs> and I was like, see, you, you, you get it. This kid gets it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no matter oh, what, all awesome. these grand ideas, you still got to heft it into space. And mm-hmm. right now, we're still going to be doing that with big piles of chemicals that we light on fire. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly right. So, yeah, maybe it doesn't work. <laughs> but what a, that was such an interesting concept because that was 100% one of those, oh, that's not where I thought you would take this. And also, is I hate rubrics. I hate rubrics. I think they stifle creativity. And obviously, there was no rubric for this. It was just a low-stakes extra credit assignment. But if I had had a rubric, maybe that idea hadn't gotten out there and we had like a 10-minute classroom discussion about it, you know. I just want to throw that out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because that was not at all what I thought they would say. Now, you mentioned a word that is 
you, you talked about things that were prevalent in sci-fi. Man, there's some a famous series of books about this. Terraforming. <laughs> yeah. Um, we actually had a student a few years ago whose dad was a science fiction writer, but he helped other writers. And this was one of the things that he helped them do, which was to talk about like terraforming planets. And it was, and he wound up coming to visit camp and we had like a day long conversation about terraforming. And it was the most interesting parental discussion I've ever had as a professor. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you, how do you terraform a planet and what are the consequences of, of doing that? Right. Because there's, there's going to be some. Right. Exactly. And so this is where they were talking about if you were going to point it at specific places on earth instead of the whole planet, like you're not going to light up the whole planet, but if we're going to think about concentrating, like where would this be most beneficial? And so like the rainforest was one of the places they were talking about because there's already so much biomass there and the consequences, all that stuff, well, what if you get rid of their diurnal cycles? What happens to all the animals that are there? And then it's like, okay, well, let's go do this at Mars now. You know, let's do this where we have a part of Mars where we point these mirrors in and effectively sort of increase the radiation to this area. Maybe warm it up. Maybe make it more of a place where you can do this agriculture. That was some of their terraforming ideas. We point you to the book trilogy, Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars by Kim Stanley Robinson. <laughs> Have you read that? I have read pieces of it, and this inspires me to actually do the whole thing. Maybe it's ah. audiobooks. Gotcha. I've been on an audiobook okay. kick lately, so maybe I'll have to get the audiobook trilogy. <gasps> yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. That's really the main reason I drove to AGU. Was just to finish my audiobooks I was working on. <laughs> I'm amazed how much just in like five minute commute to work, like ten minutes to the hardware store, how much you actually get done in a week. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, I think my ten minute drive into work, even with taking the kids, you know, like nope, you can't listen to the radio. I'm listening to my book. Yeah, um, yeah, it's fantastic. I love it so much. So I'm gonna put this one on my. Uh, on my list now. This episode brought to you by no. Um, but seriously, if if you're interested, Audible. Yes, absolutely. We're obviously both big fans. So okay, so how do we how do we terraform Mars? Uh, the obvious answer is the military answer, which is let's <laughs> nuke it. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> so as is true with much of the things discussed. In our world today, this all started with Elon Musk, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I, I threw out, I said to um, one of my TAs, I said, I'm talking about geoengineering. I know you're into some weird spots on the internet. (laughs) Like, is there something I'm missing? And he goes, yeah, yeah, you're clearly missing the nuke Mars movement and i said okay ha 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 that's no so elon musk has said that if we nuke mars we're going to terraform it it's going to make the planet more habitable because what we're going to do is we're going to nuke it to release all the co2 on the poles 
because all the ice on the poles of Mars is CO2 ice, not water ice. And therefore, once we put it into the atmosphere, it's going to start heating up the surface because CO2 is this greenhouse gas. And then it'll be more habitable for us. Right. But we're not talking about, like, we're going to drop a bomb on the North Pole and a bomb on the South Pole, right? We're talking about a lot of energy. Uh, yeah. So this was the part that was super interesting. I had, so I, it, this was an extra credit assignment and I wanted them to have fun with it. And so I let them pick what they wanted to talk about. Like I put all this stuff up and I was like, who wants to talk about this? And I had a group of six women that were like, yes, we're going to nuke Mars. <laughs> like, okay, go get them. <laughs> and they were all over this thing. It was the best. Um, they came up with the best pictures, <laughs> which are Clearly what I'm looking for, right, is a bunch of good memes. And, <laughs> and yeah, Elon Musk is selling shirts about this. <laughs> that is what you do when you're serious about a cause. It's exactly right. Um, so the numbers that they came up with were unbelievable. Because, of course, okay, the goal is, you know, this is a form of terraforming, right? Um, and we'd release all this stuff, melt the poles, make Mars's atmosphere more like Earth's um, and make it more habitable. So their list of pros, the first pro is a great pro, which is, well, this is a way to get rid of all the nukes we already have on Earth. Fair. Yes, because that is Ex a costly and difficult and dangerous process. Exactly. And I thought, that is a great pro. That is right. Um, <laughs> the other pro, which is sort of not a pro, but is, I guess... <laughs> See, this is the lack of rubric made this assignment so great. They said, if we completely ruin Mars, then we have no choice but to focus on Earth's problems. <laughs> Fair. It is, you know, burning your ships when you reach the new world. Exactly. That's exactly it. Uh, which I would argue that, no, we actually need to go to Titan. But uh, <laughs> that was really good. And their third pro also surprising. Could be fun. <laughs> hmm. All right. <laughs> and I think they missed a very, um, a very big opportunity. Um, <laughs> here's a little Acme, the Martian guy that always wants to. Marvin. Marvin. Yes. Yeah. Oh All right. Yeah. I felt like they missed a Marvin, the Martian. They really uh, did, because that was when you yeah. said Nuke Mars, my first thought was like, oh. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I was real sad about that, but also they were all probably under 20, so I'll give them. So they were like, who's okay. Marvin the Martian? Correct. That's exactly right. I obviously had a Marvin the Martian t-shirt, but anyway. Uh, so I'll try to remember cons. to put a link in the show notes for those of you under 30. Yes, yes correct. Exactly. Um, the cons of this... This is like my son the other day was like, you know, that bunny with a carrot. He was a cartoon for a while. And I was like, Bugs Bunny? He's like, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <clears throat> Wasn't that like I black don't. and white? Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Yes, kid. Go to your room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so clearly the cons list for this is much larger, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends on who's making the list. But, okay, that's true. Yeah, so well. <laughs> it, it may not work, right? Like, there's no guarantee that this atmosphere you create is going to stay there because Mars' gravity is a lot weaker. 
Right, exactly. Well, um, it's weaker. Yes. <laughs> a lot so, might be stretching it. Uh, yeah, it's it's the atmosphere's real thin. You know, maybe it doesn't behave exactly like our atmosphere. It doesn't behave like it now. So, yeah, there's that's the thing. Um, obviously, transporting nukes is a scary thing. But like you said in the beginning, John, like it's not like we're going to do one or two on each pole and we're done. This is the number that was crazy. 3,500 nukes a day is what we would need to do. For how long? Uh, yeah, so that one they didn't have. But it was daily nuking for plus a year. Okay, so let's do some math. <laughs> 3,500 nukes a day, 365 days a year. That's mm-hmm. 1.2775 million nukes. Yeah. So we uh, don't have that many on Earth. <laughs> no. We probably don't have enough phys- physical material. Okay. But let's uh-huh. assume we did. Let's assume we had them. And let's forget about all of the CO2 it takes to get them there. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you have, oh, I don't know what the average for rocket flight success is. I'm going to say it's worse than 1%. Okay. But let's say that we got it down to an exact science. Let's say we had a 0.1% failure rate. Okay. Um, No, let's be generous. 0.01% failure rate. Success, yes. Mm -hmm. How many nukes are we going (laughs) to? So that's 127 nukes that blow up here. And that's a 0.01% failure rate. It's probably more like 1%, which would mean about 13,000 nukes blow up here. So it's not going to matter because we'll never get them all launched. (laughs) Um, So there's some problems with that. Uh, (laughs) I mean, the other problem is like, this is CO2 and we make everything more habitable, but we need oxygen. So, you know. Is it going to be warm enough for plants? Are we going to have to employ space mirrors too? Like, yeah. Yeah. So probably not mm-hmm. going to happen. These last three are definitely the, uh, the, the, the sci-fi realm. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting though. It, as always, like it's interesting to, to think about these very far out there things. So if you're looking at the science of this, right? Um, So the estimate of CO2 that's actually in the ice caps is not enough to even come up with the amount of CO2 we have in our atmosphere now, which is extremely low if we're talking about on Earth history timescales, even if we melt all of them. Right. Well, and also, too, you got to think about these aren't pointless things to do. As thought mm-hmm. experiments, because they give us a different perspective on the problem. Right. So you can yes. use these outlandish things to actually work towards a real solution by these forcing you to think about the end member consequences. Right. Exactly. So when you're talking about that, you know, Mars doesn't have a magnetic field. So solar winds could just blow all this CO2 away. So if we're thinking about terraforming, you know, these are the things we need to make sure that we take into account. You know, there's not an ozone layer to protect Mars's surface from these harmful UV rays. So if we get there and we make it warm, well, 
UV is going to kill us anyway. So. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Pretty much. Yeah. But you're exactly right. Like these crazy things can lead towards less crazy things that will actually work. Exactly. So mm-hmm. they're not pointless to do. Uh, they just may not be as obvious why. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I had a follow up to this, which said, well, instead of using nukes, couldn't we just drop asteroids, like pull them around and drop asteroids to release the sequestered CO2? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The the rest of that comment says, this is still a dumb idea, but would be fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those are some of the more ludicrous geoengineering strategies we could have talked <laughs> about. But it is interesting to think about what things we could realistically do and what things can we responsibly do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. And what things can we afford to do? <laughs> Right, not only from a money standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. From a life standpoint. <laughs> life or uh, risk. I mean, this is a huge risk management discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, it is. So, of all kinds of things. Because just like you said, they didn't even talk about what if nukes go off here on Earth with a ridiculously low chance, but still... Yeah, but when you're launching that many, that's still mm-hmm. more than enough to make sure nothing can live here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's very, uh, it was very interesting and it was an exceptional class. Like, it was so much fun to discuss those things. We didn't get to the point, I was hoping that we would get to the point where we would vote um, on which one that we wanted to do. But I think, you know, if it came down to it, it's really the increasing weathering is an easy way to go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's probably the way, you know, that we should be doing it anyway. So, Well, you know, I I think that people should take all of this information in from the last two episodes and sleep on it. (laughs) Excellent segue. And with that, it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. Yay! Sleep on it or stay up all night and try to figure out the answer. But you might not look so great the next morning. (laughs) So sticking with my promise to only do BMJ Christmas (laughs) articles for the month of December. This is from 2010. In the BMJ Christmas issue, Beauty Sleep, Experimental Study on the Perceived Health and Attractiveness of Sleep-Deprived People by Axelson et al. This was great (laughs) on several levels. (laughs) Again, so surprised we haven't done this one already. Right. Uh, Also, this was written using some of the most complex sentence structure (laughs) so let me just pick a sentence this is in the the introductions in the first couple paragraphs of the paper uh let's see generally human judgment involves complex processes whereby ingrained often less consciously 
deliberated responses from perceptual cues are mixed with semantic calculations to affect decision-making. Thus, all social interactions, including diagnoses and clinical practice, are influenced by reflexive as well as reflective processes in human cognition and communication. I had to read those two sentences about eight times. Ah, ah, ah. Just to get that, people look at other people and make assumptions about their health and well-being and maybe their attractiveness based on what their face looks like. That, that's a much better summary. <laughs> that's why we're in the science communication business, John. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, because that's what this means. And I think that's a very interesting thing. It's almost like these people might be robots um, because <laughs> when they're describing that act, which was the whole setup for their experiment, it was almost like this was a shocking thing that this happens. You know what I mean? The way it was written. It was like, man, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with your face. And it's just super surprising that we can't quantify when you look at someone's face, all the assumptions you make about them. (laughs) Right. And it's like, yeah, we've known about the seven second rule for a long time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. uh But here's a, an attempt to quantify some of that. Right. And so they, they talked a bunch of people into uh, making sure they got a good night's sleep and coming in to have their photograph taken mm-hmm. and then making sure they stay up for 31 hours oh. and coming in and having their photograph taken again. Uh, I love that. <laughs> they just had to text the researchers. So, you know, this is kind of the, we hope you're not lying to us and taking a nap when you're not in the lab sort of thing. Well, but they did make them come in for the last portion of the stay That's awake That's right, part. just to make sure they stayed awake. And I want to know what was going on during that last 16 hours where they had to sit around that lab. Like, was it a huge party? Like, they couldn't, they couldn't smoke or drink because they didn't want that to, like, physically affect their faces, right? Because clearly you're going to start slurring, doing all kinds of stuff. Um but I thought, like, I hope they had, like, crazy card games and <laughs> all the stuff for those 16 hours. They had to keep these sleep-deprived people awake. Yeah, so after they stayed up 15 hours on their own. Okay, no big deal. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they had them come into the lab for the last 16 hours. And you know that nobody was having a pleasant time by the end of that. Exactly. And <laughs> Like, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> oh, this is crazy. And so then they took all these photos of their faces after their, you know, good night's sleep and their sleep deprived. And they were very specific about like how far away they took the photos, adjusting for people's face sizes because they wanted to, you know, remove any, any other... Yeah, color temperature, yeah. amount of time since they had been exposed to sunlight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they wanted just the variables of like, what does your face look like, essentially. Um, I wish they would have showed more of the pictures. I know, they've only got one example in here. Though I will say mm-hmm. I had no trouble telling which photo was which. Oh, not at all. And I thought, my God, it's incredible how much your eyes change. Right? Like this photo of the guy after his normal night's sleep and then after sleep deprivation. I would almost say that's like a brother or a non-identical twin. Yeah. like his eyes look so different. Like eyes and like mouth set. 
It's very weird. Yeah, they did do an excellent job of getting everything else the exact same. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So that's really weird. And then they had people come in and rate these photos, and there was all kinds of, you know, very specific ways that they looked at the photos. There weren't any, you know, there weren't any patterns in how they looked at the photos. And they wanted them to rate tiredness, healthiness, and attractiveness. And they even made them do some little dummy tasks in between ratings to forget the faces. Right. Yep, exactly. So then you wouldn't, you know, be, oh, well, that person looked better in the other photo. Yeah. Yeah. So I was impressed at the, for the BMJ Christmas issue, I was impressed at the level of rigor in this. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, oh, man, I'm going to get hate mail for this. Um, (laughs) No one listens. It's fine. (laughs) For a social science experiment, the correlations are pretty strong. (laughs) Oh, man, that's great. (laughs) Plots of health versus attractiveness, of tiredness versus attractiveness, and of tiredness versus health. In a lot of fields, we would call these scatter. Right. But there is some semblance of a trend. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that myself, like taking away their trend line, you could hand those plots to anyone and they would draw that line. Yeah. Like that's a lot more than I can say for some papers we've read. Correct. Where you have to <laughs> have correct. the math to say, no, this really is the best fit line. Uh-huh. Exactly. Now you could hand that scatter plot to anyone and that's the line that they would draw, especially health and tiredness. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely the the biggest correlation or the strongest mm-hmm. correlation. Though it really did confuse me. I don't know exactly what they use to plot these, but the dots are like 3D shaded or something. I yeah, it's like they have a white center or something like that. They they look like little spheres or yeah, they there's some weird shading going on. It, it messes with my depth perception of the dots. Uh, Almost I makes c- it look like a 3D plot. Uh, and the red line on the blue dots is not. Those are blue? I thought so. Maybe not. They look purple. Uh-oh. Anything with a blue and a red shouldn't go together, though. Yeah, so. true. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. Especially before it's Memorial right. Day, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> uh, one, <laughs> one of the things that I thought was cool, because like that was the one that they saw the most correlation to, but... To throw the people off who were doing that rating when they had the two sets of pictures. I thought this was interesting. Um, I have to find it. Because they had them rate things differently because they didn't want them to be affected by that. Do you remember this part where they didn't rate, like, attractiveness or they didn't rate, like, health and tiredness together? Right. Yeah. They had to do separate rating sessions yeah they did like attractiveness and tiredness or something and health was separate it was something like that i thought that was an interesting because they didn't want them to associate health with tiredness right and then that one becomes the one that actually has the biggest correlation Mm -hmm. also i enjoyed too uh on page let's see it's page three of five 
uh, about halfway down the page, the way the typesetting came out, the word perceived <laughs> is the last, with perceived <laughs> is the last uh, word pair for three rows of text. Oh my gosh. That's crazy that you noticed that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, especially mm-hmm. because it's presented, perceived, 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 and they're all the same length. <gasps> oh, that is crazy. Hmm. Also, kerning. Well, <laughs> there's kerning and there's a the fact that this entire paper is a serifed font. But <gasps> Yes, and it looks like, oh, yeah, there's some weird kerning issues happening <laughs> also. Thanks, PDF. Mm-hmm. Like, super weird. I'm like, is that an entirely different font it's so strange yeah yeah anyway <laughs> well we need to do an episode on like the history of unicode because i <gasps> recently did a metpy monday uh, on the six different ways to create the degree symbol <laughs> for degree oh, celsius in my a document gosh. oh my gosh okay that's what we're talking about next that is that cracks me up because i was as i was reading um term papers this last week, there were so many people that just wrote out degrees. And I, you can find this symbol, people. You're in a 4,000 level class, 5,000 level. You should be able to figure out how to insert this into a document. <laughs> and if you do it before Kelvin, you fail. Absolutely correct. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't have that. But everyone just talked about Celsius. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, um, speaking of, it's getting relatively late local time, and we're, of course, coming up on a a big holiday weekend here. So (laughs) if people want to see our photos, they can go to the website, (laughs) and they can rate us on our health, our attractiveness, (laughs) and our tiredness. Oh, hi, hi. Yeah, anyway. Yes. <laughs> Actually, you know, we need to update the photos, so go do it now. They're older photos of us, and then oh, we'll update right. the photos <laughs> as, as part of our New Year resolutions, oh. which also has to be upcoming. That is true. I'm pregnant in that photo, actually, with my son, who is 12 now, so <laughs> we should update those. Yep. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, so if, if you'd like to send us your ratings... Please don't. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Uh, Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? You can not do that. Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. Um, if you're bored, maybe we'll get bored and hang out in the Don't Panic channel on the Software Underground on Slack. And if you're feeling particularly generous this holiday season and want us to keep going, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash don't panic geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.